Good morning. It's great to see you all here today as uh, we continue on in our series entitled The Battle Within from Romans chapter 6, uh, 7, and 8. Last week we completed Romans chapter 7, and this morning we're going to dive into Romans chapter 8. This whole uh, series is on this idea that we can truly live a transformed life. We can truly become sanctified followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, simply meaning that we behave like we're believing. It, it, our lines, lives align with our, our, uh, our convictions. In Romans 7, Paul revealed that within him there was this battle within, that his sin nature was waging war on, on the nature of Christ in him. And I think the reason for this transparent omission was, uh, was twofold. One, so that we could also admit we had the same kind of thing going on and deal with it. But more than that, I think it was to arm us, to get us aware and, and, and become smarter followers, knowing the nature of the battle that we face is really a, a nature uh, of, of dealing with our, well, I should, it's really one of dealing with our sin nature. And this year, our, our big theme for 2019 is, has been to be uh, intelligent followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, self-awareness is so important. Uh, to become a fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing here is just illuminating us uh, on some things about who we really are and, and the battle that wages within us and, and the battle that we have to be willing uh, to do. And now today we're going to get into Romans 8, which is, I've been, I've been looking forward to this for like two months, okay? But we have to go through Romans 7 to get to Romans 8, so, you know, uh, we had to go through some of this process. And I want to begin today by a short review of Romans 7 so that we have a perspective as we jump into Romans 8. Uh, here are three big takeaways for me from the last couple of weeks. Sin has to become utterly sinful for us. We have to become ones who don't rationalize away our sinfulness, don't excuse it away, but just face up to it and say, okay, I'm dealing with this, I'm going to deal with it straightforwardly and honestly like the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 7. There is nothing good about your sin nature. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, follow, um, nothing good lives in, in me, that is my sinful nature. So following Jesus, friends, is not about some tweaking, it's not about some you know, minor life adjustments, it's not about, okay, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to add a little bit of Jesus on here, and he kind of becomes a motivational tool for you. Huh? It's about total total radical uh, transformation. It's about everything being turned upside down and becoming entirely new. And I likened it to when I discovered mold in my basement in Williston as I was doing a remodel, that once I discovered that black mold, I had one solution. I'd tear it all out. Just had to get rid of it. I had to get it out of the house. And our sin nature is of that kind of beast. We have to be willing to just do battle with it, admit what it is, and just go about tearing it out. When I was a youth pastor, that was a long time ago, like 20 years ago, I still wasn't that young, by the way, when I did that. It, we, we had a song we sang, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a casual Christian. Deep, right? Deep. But uh, I still remember that song. And I still remember when we sang it, thinking, I don't want to just be a casual Christian, God. I want to be, be a disciple that is devoted to you, body, soul, and mind. I just want to be devoted to you. And that was the what we were singing about. One of the things that I, I uh, hear about a lot as I read today is that there's a concern that we're creating a bunch of what they call cultural Christians. And that's Christians who are maybe uh, 
not getting the real gospel message like Paul presents here in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Rather, what we're creating is a consumeristic kind of self-oriented um, kind of culture where people think Christianity should serve me, should make my life better, and the church is there to help me do things and help me have a better marriage, help me be a better parent. And none of that's wrong, but get this. When you become a Christ follower, the first thing that needs to die is you and your selfishness and this being about you. And that's what Paul's really getting at here with our sin nature. Nothing good dwells within it. And it will rear its ugly head oftentimes in ways like self-centeredness or jealousy or even self-righteousness at times and those kind of things. It can rear its head in, in a multitude of ways. And then Paul says as he gets to the end of Romans chapter 7, I'm unspiritual. I don't do the good I want to do, nor no, I do the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. And Paul concludes that sin in him was doing this. And, and, and so he gets to this checkmated kind of position. He says, what am I going to do here? I'm a wretched man. And then he says, praise be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He cries out to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is point uh, three of our review. Knowing that your sin nature is the source of the problem, you cry out to Jesus for deliverance. You come to God. And are born again by grace, right? You come admitting, I can't do this. I am hopelessly lost. I am desperate in need of you, God. And God saves you. And you're what we call born again. But get this, once you're born again, you still live a life of utter dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And as things are revealed in you by the word of God or by the person of the Holy Spirit, it's not about trying harder. It's about depending on the Lord Jesus more to conform you uh, to his image, right? And so you cry out once again, Jesus, I need your strength. I need your grace to do a work in me I cannot do myself. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So let's go one more uh, Point of review here, and then I'm on to chapter 8 this morning. Um, Jesus is the vehicle we get into, whether for salvation or sanctification. The problem is your sin nature, and the solution is crying out to Jesus for deliverance. So now we're to chapter 8. Really, Paul began this discussion of chapter 8 way back in chapter 7, verse 6. In chapter 7, verse 6 of Romans, Paul revealed that the follower of Jesus is to live life in the new way of the Holy Spirit. And then he just goes on this tangent for the rest of the chapter. He talks about the battle within. I thought, whoo, talk about getting distracted. This guy really got distracted. He gives this point of living the new life in the Spirit, and he doesn't come back to it all the way to to Romans chapter 8, and now he comes back to it. And I don't ever feel bad now about going off on a tangent, amen? That's my takeaway from that. But anyway, and he gets to Romans 8, and he's going to tell us in Romans 8 the secret to victory over our sin nature. And the secret to victory over our sin nature is being empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. So listen to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what that flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 
But if Christ is in you, then, e- then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So most of the time you get to these verses, and they're powerful verses, they're wonderful verses. And we read that first verses, that first verse. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, and we stop. Right? If you know any verse from what I just read, you know that first verse, right? How many of you know that first verse? How many say that? I say it all the time to people. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that's the introductory thought to what follows? Is not the conclusion? It's a great verse. It's a powerful verse. It's worth memorizing. It's worth quoting. It's worth, you know, telling yourself at times. Because listen, Paul has just gone through this huge, transparent admission of the battle within. And we read about his admission and we go, yeah, I have that same problem. The good I want to do, I don't do. And the evil I don't want to do, I do. Oh, help me. What a wretched person I am. And we go through all that same kind of self-analysis and that self-awareness that Paul went through. And we can get kind of discouraged, right? And Paul says, listen, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a person that tends to condemn themselves from past mistakes and past sins that you've done and, and they're now under the blood of Jesus Christ, I say to you this morning, I declare to you this morning, there is now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? But that is the introductory thought to what follows here. And what follows here is a secret to living a life that's not dominated by your sin nature. It's living a life according to the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to focus in on this morning in this message. We're going to focus in on what is called the spirit factor. So here we go. Let me give you point number one uh, uh, of, of what I would consider now the message for today. Through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life that means living according to the Holy Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen? It's the secret to living a life that's not dominated by sin. We, un- we now operate in this new operating system. I don't know how many of you have gone through multiple operating systems when it comes to computers. I've gone through multiple operating systems. And we no longer operate under those former ways. Now, you know, we have things like Apple. You don't have to know anything. You just intuitively hit a key and it just magically works. Amen? It's a great operating system. Back in the day when I first started, oh my goodness, you had to do 18 keystrokes to do anything. Amen? And you had to kind of know what you were doing. Today, it's like, well, I'll just try this button. It probably will work. We live under the new operating system of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an Amen? Amen. We don't operate under, I try harder, or I need an end of the law. Uh, we live under this new way of the Holy Spirit who fills us and guides us and directs us and convicts us and brings to our minds the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to believe this is the way we can be delivered from our sin nature. We need to receive that the person of the Holy Spirit can deliver us from our sin nature. And then we need to begin to celebrate that I'm set free from my sin nature because greater is the power at work in me, the person of the Holy Spirit, than my sin nature. Amen? So we need to believe it, receive it, and celebrate it. I want us to say this out loud together. It's a response. And it's a simple reading. I just want you to read this with me. Uh, here we go as a declaration of faith that what God said here in this scripture is indeed true and applicable to my life. So here we are. Say it with me. Jesus Thank you that in you 
And through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, I am set free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Okay, now we're going to read it like you believe it. All right, here we go. Jesus, thank you that in you and through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, I am set free from the law of sin and death. So let me ask you a question today. What do you need to be set free from? Because so far, this is a little abstract, and I'm going to get tangible with you now. I'm going to bring up some scenarios that may apply to you, that may bring to light then what is meant, that we're set free from the law of sin and death. We're set free some, from some besetting things, uh, tendencies of our sin nature. So here we go. This, this, this I think, will help you kind of grasp what we're talking about here this morning, what this promise really means in a practical way in our lives. First of all, we're set free from anxiety. Everywhere I turn today, I run into this problem of anxiety in our culture. So many anxious people. And you may think, well, I don't have an anxiety problem. Well, let me ask you, do you ever worry? Does your worry ever keep you up at night for a while? You have an anxiety issue. Do you bite your fingernails to the point where your fingers hurt? You probably have an anxiety problem. Do you have bubbling beneath the surface uh, of your relationship with others, this kind of constant nagging question, what if, what if, what if, what if? Nothing's happened yet, but you're thinking of all the scenarios in your mind of what could go wrong. I'm going to tell you something. You have an anxiety issue going on. We're told in the Bible, who can, by worry, add a single hour to their life? I know that scripture because I've quoted it so much. Who, by worry, can add a single hour to their life? And so what we need to become is people of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we find ourselves succumbing to anxiety and becoming an anxious person, we need to begin to pray like this, Holy Spirit, come into me. Push out this anxiety and bring the peace of Christ to reign in my heart. And we need to begin to count on the Holy Spirit to do it. It's not about, because if you're anxious and you try not to be anxious, the harder you try not to be anxious, what happens? The more anxious you become, the more you think about it. I mean, I've run into some things. I know this really well going through some medical things. The more I try not to think about it, the more I think what? Oh, no! You know, all I do is think about it. Uh, and so that just doesn't help. And if you, tell to, uh, if you say to somebody who is anxious, you just need to settle down. You might as well have just thrown, you know, gasoline on the fire of their anxiety. Whoosh, whoosh. Right? That doesn't help. But the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit in us, he can subdue the anxiety that our sin nature wants us to think about and be consumed with. How about fear? (laughs) We live in a fear-based culture. Every single piece of literature I get seems like there's a threat involved with it. Have you noticed that? Especially if I get something from the government. You don't do this by this time, you get fined this amount of blah, blah, blah. You know, or something will come from the city. If you don't do this, you'll get fined. Or, or, you know, I'm so tired of getting threatened. Are you? Everywhere I turn around, there's this you got to comply, and if you don't, bam, 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 bam. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden we're living in fear all the time. Listen, Jesus' perfect love casts off fear. Amen? And so when you feel yourself beginning to become fearful, I'm going to tell you something. That's coming from your sin nature. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit then to do a work in you and bring 
the perfect love of Jesus Christ to bear in your heart because that perfect love drives out fear. How about death? I see a lot of people who just don't want to even talk about death or, or ignore it or rationalize it away. You know, we're all going to die. Happy day, right? We're, unless Jesus comes back first, we're going to die. It's the way of life on this earth because of sin. But we know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead will raise us from the dead also. And we can count on that promise. But there are times, I think, where I see a lot of people very concerned about death and kind of consumed by death. But in Jesus, death has lost its sting. So if you find yourself concerned about death, ask the Holy Spirit to bring into you the resurrection power of Christ, to make that alive in you so that you no longer are afraid of the sting of death. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? But you begin to cry out to the Holy Spirit. You begin to depend on the Holy Spirit to do that work and you. You can't do yourself. How about envy? How about envy? Can you rejoice with those who rejoice? Even when they're succeeding in ways you wish you could you know, succeed at? Do you mourn with those who mourn? Do you, in other words, relate to those around you without you having to be in the way? Without you having to make it about you? Because I think the more the Holy Spirit lives in us, the more we genuinely care about one another. Amen? And the more we don't have to care about ourselves first and foremost all the time. And so when you find yourself envying others, ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in you of giving you genuine concern and empathy for other people. Ask him to do that work in you. Begin to pray that way, that you'd have that kind of dependency on him uh, for that outcome. And then anger. Do we live in an angry culture? Oh, my goodness, people in Brookings are even angry. I don't know why we'd be angry here. Nothing's more than 10 minutes away. It's really a convenient place to live. But I see this, 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 this anger, this seething kind of rage in our culture. You see it on the political scene overall in our nation, and you, you see it just in people's lives so frequently. You know, anger does all kinds of damage. It damages relationships. It damages your body. Um, it gives you courage to say things you ought never to say. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And so what we need to begin to do is when we have anger begin to well up within us, we need to pray, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, do a work in me. I don't want to be an angry person. Create instead a a, a spirit of self-control in me. Um, By the way, if someone's really angry and you tell them don't be angry, you're just going to make them more angry. So that's not going to work either. But the Holy Spirit sets us free from the dominion of these kinds of sins. This is the sin nature. These are the kinds of things. These are examples of what we're being set free from. And Paul makes the point in Romans 8 that the law was powerless to deliver us from such things because it was weakened by our flesh. We couldn't do it in our flesh. But thanks be to God through the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We can, right? We can. We can do it. And this brings us to our second point this morning in this message. Jesus not only came to save you from sin, but also set you free from your sin nature by the indwelling presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. One commentary said it this way. Jesus vanquished sin's power 
and he set us free from its enslaving dominion. And the way he set us free from its enslaving dominion is because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And he sets us free. And if we're free in him, we're free indeed. So here's a reflection thought for you this morning. God has given divine aid to meet the divine requirements. Now the divine aid is revealed in two ways here, right in the scripture we read this morning. First, Jesus came and fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law for us. We couldn't do it. So God made a way for us, a relationship with him through Christ. We all know that. If we've been around Christianity for a while, we probably know that. But secondly, God has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. This is a point we don't dwell on enough, I don't think. We dwell on the first part. We, think about, we sing about Jesus. We love Jesus. Don't we? Amen. And we ought to, right? Amen. He set us free. But get this. We've got two elements of divine aid from God. Not only has Christ come and sacrificed his life for us so we can have a relationship with God, but he, he sent the person of the Holy Spirit to live in us so that we can experience a power from within that's greater than our sin nature. Paul gives a comparison and contrast of the spirit-controlled life and the carnal, fleshly-controlled life in the verses we read today. Listen to that now. I'm going to reread verses 5 through 9. I want you to listen to this now, kind of in this idea that he's contrasting and comparing the spirit-controlled life to the carnal or flesh-controlled life. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So here's how I just summarize this. The Holy Spirit will transform your mind, is what Paul's saying. The Holy Spirit will change how you think, and that'll affect your whole life. Let me give you a picture of how this works, okay? I got a blackboard up here, and I just want to do a quick comparison and contrast here using the scripture I just read to you this morning. So, the one who's not born again does not have Jesus. If you looked at a life like this, they have a soul. Now, when I use the word soul, I'm going to use it theologically correct. The word soul is not a synonym with the word spirit. The word soul means mind, will, and emotion, okay? Everybody is born with mind, will, and emotions, amen? And then we're all born with a body. And here's what happens to this person that does not have the control of the Holy Spirit in their life. What controls them is SN, and that does not stand for Steve Norby, that stands for sin nature, okay? So what's really working deep in their, in their soul, mind, will, and emotions, is the sin nature. And it is controlling the soul. It is sending out its little daggers, and it's doing its work of control. Guess what else is going on? And Paul just talked about this in the scripture I just read to you. The body controls the soul. Its impulses, right, are... are coming in, do this, gratify this, live this way. And we see a lot of our culture today wanting to what? Make impulses a way of life. Amen? Because such ones don't know Jesus, they're controlled by what? The impulses of the flesh. Now, compare and contrast that to the person who is controlled by the Holy Spirit. So that person has a soul, correct? And they have a body, But here at the middle is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then 
transforms the mind, recreates the mind, puts the mind of God into the mind of that person, brings to recollection the ways of God, convicts you when you're doing things wrong, comforts you when you're going through things that are hard. The work of the Holy Spirit transforms the mind. And guess what else happens then? The body is brought into conformity then to the Holy Spirit within you. So this is an inside-out control mechanism, so to speak, where the Holy Spirit transforms the mind and the body's brought into conformity. You're no longer driven to and fro, so to speak, by the bodily impulses, amen? Instead of those being what drive you, the Holy Spirit drives you. It's an inside-out. This thing here is the double whammy attack. Inside and outside, it's attacking your soul. And Paul says, this one's death, this one's life. So let me ask you a question here. Which one of those pictures best describes your life? Hear the sub-point. Those who live according to the sinful nature will have minds set on what the nature desires. Those who live according to the Spirit will have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Paul says bluntly in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, this, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ i got to explain that phrase. If someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, now the Spirit of Christ, that phrase means anointing with the oil of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying if anyone does not have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in their life, they're not in Christ. And that's a pretty bold, blunt statement. I've heard some say, especially at funerals, and especially when we're doing funerals with someone, that didn't live such a great life. I've heard people say philosophically, well, you can be a Christian and never really show it. What a slippery slope, huh? And oftentimes someone who's really being theologically deep will say, well, you know, because God is great and it's not our works that show that we're, you know, saved. It's God who does the saving works. So you may not even show the saving works in your life, you know, because God's great and, you know, they're trying to magnify the greatness of God. And I'm going, what about Romans 8? If you have the Spirit of Christ and if you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life, as Paul bluntly says, you will what? Show it. How can you not show it? If God is sovereign and great and he is all those things, then when he comes upon you, won't you look like that? Amen, right? Is that too blunt? Because I'm just saying what Paul said here. Our reading ends this morning with an assurance, and I'm glad for this assurance. Because basically Paul is saying, you have to depend on the work of the Holy Spirit to do this deep, you know, transformation in you. You can't do it yourself. And he says, here's why you should do this. Listen to verse 10 and 12, 10 through 12 once again, or 10 through 11 once again, excuse me. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin... The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So basically the assurance that Paul has given us is this. God who is able to raise Jesus from the dead has given you the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live the new way of the Spirit. I love what Paul says here. I relate to this now that I've gotten a little older, that our our bodies, he said, they're subject to death because of sin. We all know we're subject to death, right? 
We're moving towards death unless Jesus comes first. And I, I never really realized that until about the last seven or eight years of my life, how true this really is. Because I started having like real aches and pains. So six years ago, I have a major surgery. I thought, ooh, got through that. Two years after that, ooh, another major surgery. And this time on the heart, that got my attention. Then this last year, another surgery on my neck. I'm thinking, okay, so I'm feeling great. Seriously, seriously, I have to say this. About a month ago, I said to Vicki, I have not felt this good in like two decades. I feel good and everything, you know. And then I get shingles. <laughs> Perfect, right? <laughs> I didn't even know what they were until I went to see the nurse specialist here a while back. And my sides just are killing me. And all of a sudden I thought, I got a million bug bites on my side. Why? And Vicky says to this PA, can you just look at his side? Something weird's going on there. So I lift up my shirt and, you know, pull down my pants a little bit. And she can just see this. She goes, you have shingles. Oh, Great. Fantastic. And I, th- I thought of the reality right away. I'm looking at this scripture. I'm thinking on the scripture. I said, yep, my body's dying. We are, we are mortal beings, and we can relate to this idea that we're subject to death because of sin. But you know what? I found myself thinking this. I seriously did. Thank you, Jesus. Because this life is not all there is. There's a day coming when I, too, will experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And you'll raise this mortal body that's so frail and so full of, of, you know, flaws. And I'll be glorified. And I'll have this perfect body without blemish, without any kind of pain. And all the mourning and all that stuff that I've experienced, you're going to wipe it all away. And I found myself just kind of praising him in that moment for that. And then I found myself thinking, I think like, Probably the Apostle Paul wants us to think. That same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead, he will raise us again from the dead, but he's at work in you now. Amen? And he is doing this work of renewal, of transformation, of recreation, and you're becoming a devoted, fully committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to begin to pray, come Holy Spirit and do this work of renewal in us. Come Holy Spirit and fill me with the mind of Christ. Come Holy Spirit and fill me with the power of God so that I become what you want me to become. And so that when I go to places, I change the temperature of that place so that it's more like you, so that I can be a cultural changer because Christ is in me. Come Holy Spirit and do this work of transformation and empowerment. We have to begin to pray that way. I think we don't experience some of what God has for us because we simply don't do what? Ask for it. We're not even aware of it. And so I'm just telling you, be smart. Understand the secret to true transformation in your life is the unleashing of the Holy Spirit in you. Ask for it. I know, I know, A lot of craziness has been done over the decades in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that makes some people afraid of him. Don't fill the baby out with the bathwater. Be discerning. Be discerning because we need the person of the Holy Spirit. And he will do real works in your life that you'll go, wow, okay. Only God could do this kind of stuff. Begin to believe it, receive it, and act on it. Amen?